Well, good morning and welcome once again to Connection Point Church, to those who are here and those who are joining us online this morning. We just want to say thanks for, for being with us once again. Uh, sorry about that worship team. I know <laughs> we normally do four songs, but I just felt like we needed to get right into the word this morning. I, I feel that the song we just let out of leads right into today's message just right. This morning, we're going to kick off a new series at the table. And I just want to start by saying there's something about gathering around a table, isn't there? Something about gathering around a meal, whether that be sitting around a, a formal dining room table, a country kitchen table, or the folding tables that we so often gather in around here, right? Or even maybe a campfire, because a campfire kind of is its own unique table, right? When you gather around it, there's something that just happens around a table. The type of table, it really doesn't matter, though. And, and even the food that's put upon it isn't all that important. The thing that matters most about sitting around a table and sharing a meal is the time that's spent. The time that's spent with friends, family, and, and oftentimes even soon-to-be friends. Now, in a day where masks must be worn everywhere, sitting around a table is still an acceptable place to take the mask down. <laughs> Unless you live in California, where the governor has said you need to put it on in between bites. When the mask comes down we get a glimpse of what's going on in a person's life. Because a smile is seen or a frown is seen. And you can kind of see what's going on beneath the mask. But, but when you're at the table, it's not just the cloth mask that comes down either. You know, the one that we've gotten used to wearing this year during this pandemic. It's also the masks that we've been wearing sometimes for years, decades, or sometimes even a lifetime, those masks be begin to be lowered just a little bit. There's something special that happens at a table. And while good food is often shared, there is so much more. Laughter happens around a table. Tears sometimes flow around a table. Stories are told around a table, and memories are made around a table. Conversations also happen around a table. I mean, I mean, real conversations, not what happens on social media. See, that's, that's not a conversation. That's an opinion looking for confirmation. A conversation is something where a question can be asked and discussion can happen. Now, that doesn't mean agreement always happens, but it means discussion can happen. A conversation is where you can cut to the heart of a matter. Over these next few weeks, as we begin to approach this Thanksgiving season, where people will be gathering around tables all across this land, we're going to look at some of Jesus' meals, some of his mealtime encounters and conversations 
he had at the table. Now, as we sit down this Thanksgiving with family and friends, many who may have voted differently than what you did this week, let's remember some of the conversations that Jesus had around the table. Turn with me, if you would, to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15 gives us three different parables or three stories that Jesus tells. We're going to look at all three of them this morning. Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse number 1, this is what it says. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Now, if you know anything about Jewish tradition, or you've read very much of your, your Bible, especially the Old Testament, you'll, you'll know that feasts and meals were, were very important to the, in the life of the early Christian or the early believer. The mealtime was, was very important to the first century person. And here, the religious leaders were pointing out that Jesus wasn't just seen with sinners. He was seen sharing a meal with them. This was something that was completely unheard of for a teacher of the law. You've got to understand the picture of what's going on in verse number 1. People would gather around Jesus to hear him when he taught. They, would just, he w- they were drawn to him to hear him speak. And it says tax collectors and sinners were there listening as well. Now, the tax collectors were, were Jewish people who were collecting taxes for the Roman government. This is the, the people who came in and conquered them. So, so people looked at these tax collectors as traitors to their country. They were traitors to their own people. They were hated and despised. Why? Because the tax collectors were getting rich off of their fellow countrymen. Can you believe there were actually people associated with the government that would get rich off their fellow man? Maybe you can believe that. (laughs) Some things just don't change, do they? The the Pharisees were like, can you believe it? Jesus is eating with these despised tax collectors. Eating with tax collectors, they get their own category, and sinners. Now, who were the regular sinners? They were people who didn't keep the law. There would be people who maybe lied, people who would steal, probably not people who would murder because they would take them out and stone them to death right away. There would be people who who maybe didn't honor the Sabbath. That would be none of us. People who maybe didn't honor their parents. They may be prostitutes or all types of people who did not uphold God's law, except for maybe this one. They probably didn't think of this category, the gossips. You know, when they talked about tax collectors and sinners, because the Pharisees were always talking about somebody. 
to someone. So Jesus, a teacher of God's word, was known to share a table with these people who were despised. But why would the despised people, they knew they were despised by the teachers of the law, they knew they were despised by other Jewish people, why would they want to share a meal with him? Because he was known to be teaching deliverance from sin. And these people were drawn to this message of hope. The message Jesus preached was a message that said forgiveness was possible. He preached a message that said a new life could be had in the kingdom of God. Now, one thing that's been clear to me this year as we've walked through this election cycle is far too many Christians have been more focused on this earthly kingdom than an eternal one. Jesus didn't come to establish a kingdom that can be shaken, replaced, tore down, or that was political. He came to establish his kingdom. I'm not saying we shouldn't vote. I'm not saying we shouldn't support issues. We absolutely should. But we also must never forget this fact. We are aliens in this world. We belong to an eternal kingdom. And that kingdom, his eternal kingdom, should be of greater importance to us than this temporal one we live in. His kingdom says it doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter if, if you were a tax collector or just a regular sinner. At the foot of the cross, we're all the same. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. These despised people, the tax collectors and the sinners, heard this is what Jesus was preaching and they wanted to know more. And Jesus welcomed them to join him at the table. And from all that they heard, it wasn't just lip service. It wasn't, God will forgive you, but you're not welcome to dine with me. I think that's sometimes the message that, that people give off. Maybe not with words, but with attitude and action. A question maybe for us to ponder this morning is this. Does the world see us as those religious leaders? Do they see us as Pharisees or do they see us as Jesus? In other words, do they look at us as those who wouldn't be caught at a table with someone who is outside of our group? I'm not asking you this morning, how do you see yourself? I'm asking, how does the world see you? And before you answer the question, let me ask you another question. When's the last time you shared a meal with someone who wasn't already part of the community of Christian believers? Could someone who doesn't yet know Christ look to you and see themselves welcome at your table? Would someone who maybe didn't vote the same as you did on Tuesday be welcomed at your table, or would they feel like a, a despised 
outcast. So I'm asking you this morning, have you made room at your table? Have you set out your very best and said, come and dine? Or have you set out your paper and plastic, your disposable goods, and say, well, I got a place for you, but it's not the best? figuratively speaking about paper and plastic, because that's what we use to dine with at our house often. <laughs> so if we, if we put that out for you, you're just part of our family, because that's what we use too. So it's figuratively speaking here, okay? I think figuratively speaking, this is all something that we could all work upon, improve upon. So Jesus is, is teaching and the religious leaders, I, I, can, I can picture them kind of off to the side just a little bit. But they're not quiet. They're over there, and they're pointing, and they're talking, and they're saying, look at him. He welcomes the tax collectors and the sinners. He eats with them. That's the picture in verse 1. And you're like, oh, my goodness, we got 32 verses. we got to get through them all, and we're only on verse 1. Listen, so, so what's his response? Instead of just answering their charge, look at him. He eats with tax collectors and sinners. He does what he often does, and he responds to their criticism with a story. This time he gives them three stories. The first is the parable of the lost sheep. Verse number three says this. So he spoke this parable to them, saying, what man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. Church, he's answering the Pharisees right here. He's answering the charge, but don't miss it. He's at the same time he's ministering to the Pharisees or to the to the tax collectors and to the sinners who are there listening to what he has to say. He's answering the charge, but he's ministering at the same time. And you have to read the story from both points of view. you got to read it from the point of view of correction that he's giving to the Pharisees, but you also must read it and listen for the hope that he has given. He's saying, listen, the sheep was lost in the wilderness. How could this happen? How, how could a sheep get lost in the wilderness? Well, sometimes a sheep will just see something off in the distance that just looks good to them. Maybe, maybe it was some grass on a hillside, and he said, mm, I got to get me some of that. Sometimes a sheep will wander off because it's not paying attention. You know, as the sheep begin to wander off, it doesn't even realize as it's wandering that it's lost. How many people are out there in the wild wandering aimlessly and they don't even realize that they're lost? 
Could, could the sheep be lost because it didn't listen to the warnings of the shepherd? Maybe. Could it maybe be the sheep didn't feel a connection to the shepherd or maybe to the other sheep, so it stayed on the fringe? See, when you're on the fringe, it's easy to get lost, isn't it? Maybe the sheep thought he could find more satisfying food on his own. That's something we hear from people who wander off from church quite often, isn't it? What will they say, those famous words? I just wasn't getting fed. You've heard them before. So they go home, and instead of getting fed what they need, they just feed on what they want. (coughs) Sheep wander into the wilderness because it's appealing. Excuse me, I'm going to get a drink of water here. They wander off into the wilderness because it looks good to them. But listen, once the sheep get out in the wilderness, into the wild, eventually they find there are many hidden traps. There are sharp cliffs. The wilderness is wild and rough. The wilderness is lonely. It's not an easy place for a sheep to make it on their own. Yet with all of its pitfalls, there still seems to be this attraction to the wild. It's appealing. Listen, the world, the earthly kingdom, it offers success. It promotes your ego. It gives you position, power, wealth. There's an excitement that draws people into it. And as they are drawn more and more into it by the time they they finally look up and discover they're losing their way, they're already lost. But Jesus doesn't leave his story with, the sheep is lost. He says, if you've got just one lost sheep, you go after it. You don't leave it out there in the wilderness on its own. He's speaking here to both the Pharisee that is responsible to go after the lost in the wilderness as well as the sinner who is the lost sheep. He's saying all the sheep are important. The 99 are important. The 99 that are not lost are important. But listen, so is the one who wandered off on their own, even if it's all their own fault. He says the shepherd went after it. Until he found it. He didn't give up. He kept going. He kept searching. Until he finally discovered where it was. And he brought it back. This is a message for the church today. There are far too many sheep wandering. Out there alone. In the wilderness. And each and every one of them are important to God. Church, we got to be about seeking after them. Going after the lost has got to be the number one priority of the church. We got to put as much effort and energy into seeking the one that is lost as we do into putting it into activities for the church, for the 99 who are already a part of it. Notice once he found the sheep, the shepherd was not embarrassed by the filth 
that it was found in. Because I can tell you when a sheep is out there in the wilderness, in the wild, wandering around, the sheep gets dirty. He wasn't embarrassed by the, by the filth that this sheep had. What does it say? He says he threw it over his shoulder. He held the sheep close to him. He kept it close to him to give it rest, to teach it, to train it, so that it would know his voice. And then he called his neighbors so that they could rejoice with him. He says, my sheep that was lost is now found. Church, we got to go after the one and celebrate when they are found. The second parable here is a woman who has ten silver coins and she loses one. And she searches her home to find it. It says, or, or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This story is similar, but instead of a sheep in the wilderness, it's a story of a coin in the home. This story represents a lost family member. Notice the coin was, was silver. It had great worth. It was valuable. But it was lost because of the actions or inactions of another. Please don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. I'm, I, I'm not saying that, that you are responsible for working out someone else's salvation. Paul made that very clear in his letter to the church at Philippi. He said, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Every person has responsibility for their own salvation. People can't blame someone else for the, for the fact that they either know God or don't know God. But listen to this, as parents, as parents, we must realize that the way we lead does affect our children. It affects those who are in our family. The coin was lost at home. Could it be that this coin was ignored? Could it be that the coin was forgotten? Could it be that the coin was neglected? In thinking of terms of a, of a lost family member, did they see us living a different life at home than what we live in front of others? Were we reflecting the light of Christ? The coin was lost in the dirt of the house. It was in the home, but it was lost in the filth that was there. When the, re the, when the woman realized her precious coin was lost, she changed some things. See, she, she changed some things in the home. It says she lit a lamp, and she began to shine it all around the, the home. She began to sweep the dirt out, getting rid of everything that did not belong. 
not only was she trying to find this lost coin, but I got to think that she was likely worried she may lose another coin to the darkness and the dirt that was in her home. Does the way we are living our life represent Christ to those who are closest to us? Or is there plenty of dirt and filth in our lives where those that are most precious to us could be caught up in those things and lost? We've got to shine the light of Christ into every corner of our life. We must sweep out all that doesn't belong. The woman did not give up until she found the thing that was most precious to her. And after discovering it, she too calls her neighbors so that they can rejoice. But note what she says. I have found the peace which I lost. Why did she lose it? The candle wasn't lit throughout the house. There were hidden areas. There was dirt that did not belong. Darkness can trip you up. You don't believe me? Try this. Tonight, when the sun goes down, about 4 o'clock now it seems, so tonight when the, when the sun goes down, pull your shades, turn off all your lights, take off your shoes and socks, and try to walk through your home in the pitch black from room to room. You're going to find all kinds of hidden things. Your toes, your feet, your shins. I can promise you this, you're going to get tripped up. It's the same in the spiritual world. When you walk around in the dark, you're going to get tripped up. But listen, in this story, once all was cleaned and lit, she rejoiced because the precious coin was found. What an incredible lesson for us. To clean out the things in our life that don't belong. To shine the light of Christ everywhere we go. Not just when we're out in the public, but when we're in our home as well. So that those that are most precious to us don't end up lost. The first parable speaks to the responsibility of the pastor and the church to go after the lost. The second parable speaks to shining the light of Christ within our own home so that those closest to us see a representation of Him. I tend to think that those first two parables say to the sinner that we're gathered there, that they have worth. To those who are listening to Jesus tell this story, that they have value. But I also think it speaks to the Pharisee. Maybe... Some of those sinners are tax collectors, were once a part of their flock. Maybe they, as a shepherd, hadn't gone after them. Maybe they didn't notice they were missing. Maybe the sinners that were there present were maybe even part of their family. 
And the life they lived at home was different than the one that was at the temple. These are questions we need to ask ourselves. Finally, Jesus tells the story of the prodigal. In verse number 11, it says, Then he said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of the country and sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? Jesus, in the first two parables, established worth. He has said to the sinner that was there listening to him, you're important. And here he is saying, yes, you are important, but now you need to take a look at where you are. You've gone into the wild and you've spent, you have chased after everything, and you've ended up with nothing. You have allowed your flesh to guide you, seeking the pleasures of the world, and have been left wanting. You're empty. You're hungry. He's saying when you chase after the things of this world, famine will strike. In other words, trials of life will come your way. And nothing this world has to offer will satisfy That's because when you've left the protection of the Father, you will find when famine strikes, all your so-called friends are gone. And you'll finally wake up, and you'll realize you're in a pigsty, facing all your problems all alone. He's speaking in this moment directly to the sinners who are there listening. And he's saying to them, you've chased after all the things of this world, and what has it gotten you? In the story, the son realizes that in his father's house, there was a place of provision. In his father's house was all he ever needed. In the father's house, there was shelter from the storm. In the father's house, there was love and care. But just realizing this is not enough. I believe as as Jesus is telling this story and they're listening, I believe he's got their attention in this moment. He's established again that they are valuable. He's established that their chase after the things of the, the world had brought them to a place of shame and loneliness and left them unsatisfied and hungry. And then... He says to them, and the young man said, I will rise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. 
and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. You see, there had to be more than simply a realization of where he was. There had to be a change that happened. He had to turn away from where he was. And he had to make a move towards the Father. And Jesus says, once this happened, he arose and came to his Father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and fell on his neck and kissed him. What a picture. What a picture. The father was there looking and waiting for the son's return. The father had never given up. If you're a parent with a child that is lost in the world, you can understand the longing of the father for the son's return. You can imagine the heart of the father. You can imagine the fact that every day he would come out and he would look down the road hoping that this would be the day that the son decided to return home. And finally, one day, he saw him in the distance. No longer the prideful swagger that he left with. His head no longer lifted high but hanging low. Shame and regret was heavy upon him. But yet the father knew, even though he looked differently, he knew it was his son. And Jesus said in the story, he said, and the father ran to him. He embraced him. He hugged him and he kissed him. He didn't care who saw him. He didn't wait until the sun got cleaned. Remember, he was in the pigsty. He was feeding the pig. This was something that was unheard of for a Jewish believer. They were to not eat swine. They were not to touch swine. He was living with the swine. He was dirty. He was filthy. And yet it says the father ran to him. They hugged him. He embraced him. And yet the story still doesn't end quite there. Something else still needed to happen. Verse 21 says, And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Confession had to happen. It, it, it took more than just realizing the mistakes that he had made. It took more than just realizing he was in a pig pen. He had to move from where he was. He had to turn away, go to the Father, and then he had to confess his sin. And then this is what happens next. Confession and then this. But the Father said to his servants, bring out the best robe. Put it on him. 
put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. What happened in this moment? Restoration. Put a robe upon him. The robe returns him to sonship. It was a sign of adoption in their culture. The family ring, which would be used in official documents to press upon the seal. It said he represents the family. It says he has the full authority of the father. The shoes that were put upon his feet said you're no longer a slave, but you are free. And then the father says this in verse number 23. Bring the fatted calf here and kill it. Let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they begin to be merry. They had a meal to celebrate the return of the son that was dead and is now alive. The one that was lost and is now found. Everything the father had. Everything was now available to him. Every promise, full authority, sonship, it was all his. But there was one who missed out on the purpose of the celebration. In this moment, Jesus turns his attention from the sinners and the tax collectors back to the Pharisee. And he says this, now his older son was in the field, and he came and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and, and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I have never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat and I might, that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as the son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me. And all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad. For your brother was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. The son, the elder son in this story represents someone who's self-righteous. Someone who is more concerned with keeping a scorecard a scorecard of the rules of who did right and who did wrong than the fact that his brother was lost and is now found. See, the older brother, he knew the rules, but he lacked compassion. Notice what else. It says he was in the field. He was in the field. In, in other words, he was away from the father's house. He was out in the field doing the work. He was doing the work of religion, yet he was unaware of the redemption that was taking place in the home. It says he had to ask what this meant. What does this mean? 
let us never get so caught up in the work of religion that we miss the point of the celebration. In these stories, Jesus is emphasizing the point of his meals. He, he's, he's telling them there's more to it than we're just having a meal here. He says the point of these meals with those who you wouldn't dare allow to sit at your table, he's saying you're, you're missing the point of why I'm doing it. He's saying to them, listen, we must not be of the world, but we must make room at our table to invite those who are in the world to come in and find a place where they can receive forgiveness, salvation, and redemption. He's saying, that's why I eat with them. I came to seek and to save that which was lost. So the Father is asking us today, Will you make room at your table? Will you go after those who are lost in the wild? Those who have wandered off? Will you live your life shining the light of Christ into every area? Removing all that does not belong. And for those who are wondering today, whether you're online or you're here in this room. If you're wondering today, is there room at the table for you? I'm here to tell you today, we have a place set for you. We have our best place. We're going we're gonna to get rid of the paper and the plastic and we're going to leave our very best out for you. We have a place at the table for you today. ready and available. This morning, today if you woke to realize that you are far from home, that you're caught up in the things of this world, let me remind you today, the Father longs for the day that you return home. He is watching and waiting for you today, waiting for you to move towards Him. He is ready to run down the road, to meet you along the way, to embrace you, not to wait for you to get clean, but to pick you up right where you are, to wrap His arms around you, to kiss you, to hug you, to wash you clean, to put His robe upon you, to clothe you in His righteousness to put his ring upon you, to give you the authority of heaven, to put his shoes upon your feet so that you would take the good news everywhere that you would go. He's got a table set for you, a feast ready today with every promise of his word every promise of his word available to you today. If you would simply come to him, confess. That's it. That's it.
will give you forgiveness of your sin, offer you eternal life, and give you every promise between these pages. Let's pray this morning.